Hey guys, thanks for tuning in again to the D2 Alive. I'm your host, Dan Jones, joined by disorganised John Trevorrow, four-time champion <laughs> from Australia. And a friend of the podcast, Michael Rogers, joins us again. We're super pumped because he's been given a promotion at the UCI. He's now head of road and innovation. Dodge, welcome back to the Detour, mate. Hello, Dan. Hello, John. Good to see you again. <laughs> Good to see you, mate. Now, you are coming live from the World Track Championships in Roubaix. Uh, what's the atmosphere like? It's obviously uh, the areas must be fizzing after uh, epic Paris-Roubaix a couple of weeks ago. Well, yeah, absolutely right. I mean, the World Championship started yesterday. Uh, basically, the team events, team's pursuits, uh, team sprints to, uh, started qualifications. Finals of the team sprint, uh, finals today of team pursuits and a whole other group of racing. Uh, really excited. It seems to be almost a, a rebuild of of track teams, particularly after the Olympic Games. A lot of the nations are sending their younger riders uh, or a mix of experienced riders and younger riders. So it really is um, quite refreshing to see that new generation starting to come through. Unfortunately, I was uh, uh, we just talking off air, but uh, Australia couldn't be there. A mixture of all the COVID situations and, and problems that's been uh, sure. facing us, uh, very unusual, especially the team's pursuit, as you uh, mentioned. And uh, you're saying that uh, a final tonight, Italy and France, and France uh, rode their fastest ever time to make that final against Italy. Should be a cracker. It should be, John. Absolutely right. It was, it was fantastic to see France uh, back in back in the mix. Um, home crowd. Uh, well, as much crowd as there is, we're, we're under very tight COVID restrictions here with, with the bubble. Um, the, uh, the French federations have, have put very restringent regulations on the entire race, and, and so the crowd is very limited. Um, but there is a there is a good feeling. Uh, there is this kind of fresh air of, of of new talent coming through, particularly after the Olympic Games. But really looking forward to the to the final tonight uh, between on the men's team pursuit, uh, as France did their best ever time they've ever done uh, in the history of, of France. I think they did three forty seven, which was a fantastic ride in the semi final. To me, Italy just seems to be at a, at, a, at another level. Uh, of course, uh, having Ghana. In the team once again will be a huge benefit to them but if i can just comment on the side with ghana um i mean this guy is just phenomenal i mean uh, he won the world time trial championships just weeks ago uh he was at the european i think he was at the european track championships the week before this uh he was at the olympic games he's been racing all year i mean how much talent has this guy guy got he's the mick rogers of 2021 mate he call. is. He, yeah, <laughs> well, uh, yeah. If I could do 50% of what he did, I mean, uh, it would still be a successful career. Well, it was a big year for the UCI. I've been talking about the uh, team's pursuit. I mean, one of the big topics was obviously at the Olympics with our old mates, the Danes, with uh, the, what was it? The, they had the tape on uh, all the legs, and that caused the big stink at the time. Um, just another day in the job, Mick. Well, I was very much in the middle of that, Dan, and and um, I think it just underlines the extremity that teams are now going to uh, to, to push performance. Mm. Um, now, the jury is still out whether it um, was a aerodynamic advantage, um, what they would call that kind of within the cycling world is an air trip. Uh, so in essence, placing that tape on a, a, a limb or on a leading edge of a part of a bicycle 
in essence, creates an aerodynamic advantage. Um, but this one was very tricky, if I can say it that way, because we do have regulations that say nothing can be applied to the to the skin to to change it. What we call in uh, in UCI talk is change the morphology of the rider. Um, however, there are legitimate cases for the use of kinesio tape, um, and and our feeling was that if a precedent is set particularly around the use of tape, um, and, and we had to disqualify the team right there, right then, then everyone who has a legitimate cause uh, to, for the use of kinesio tape on, on a knee or, or an injured area, uh, they would also be in the place to be disqualified. So we do need to make the regulations uh, clearer. We do make, need to make a change there, but I think it does underline the complexity um and and uh the difficulty in in creating a rule because it can there's always a gray area of a rule and it, it's very hard to to make it just completely black or white because there are again legitimate causes for tapes and we, we'd hate to exclude those people that have legitimate causes so the danes obviously all had the same injury at the same time in the same event. Correct. i mean what Apparently. are the odds but hey but what are the odds yeah what are the odds yeah <laughs> if, if i was working at the uci the amount of times i'd be going up to teams just going fellas come on like i know it's in the rules but come on like it's clear it's obvious we know what's going on here let's just in the spirit of the game come on but you know it, it's, those, I just would like to to take this this point is is just to underline the the direction the teams are going and and the the gains that can be taken from aerodynamic advantage because they simply are going so fast now, Dan. Mm. When you're riding at seventy kilometers an hour, you know, a small aerodynamic advantage can give you that winning edge. I mean, we saw in the final between the Italians and the danish in the men's team pursuit final the winning margin was was literally centimeters mm. and teams will just go to any extent you know playing within the within the rules we also starting to see um i think the danish were riding what i call is dangerous positions where they're putting their head down mm. and in essence not watching where they're going at all uh, and in the semi-finals, we saw a great example of that when uh, when the Danish ran up the back of uh, I think it was the third rider of the English team. Yeah. And John, you can you I, I think you you would be a fan of this rule. And 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 when all of our parents first told us to ride how to ride a bike, what was the first thing they always said? Yeah. What, John, watch going. where you're going. <laughs> exactly. And we don't feel, the UCI doesn't feel that it's, we need to put rule, you know, article 1.000, watch where you're going. And, and uh, but anyway, it seems we have to, we have to be stronger on the, with the teams and the nations about these facts because when we start to ab abandon the, the basic rules, in order to ach and achieve an, a, an aerodynamic gain, um, I, th I think we're starting to to take the sport. I think in, in a different direction, and and uh, we may have to intervene there, which is I think disappointing for us. 
Well, at least you know the Aussies are honest. We couldn't even get our bikes right. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> we're not we're not doing anything on the on the slide. Well, and and, and you raise another good point there, Dan. And I, I'm putting my I think my technical hat on is we're now starting to see new manufacturing processes. You know, 3D mm. printing coming in, and the current UCI regulations probably are not. I would say aligned to new manufacturing processes, such as where the manufacturing process enables the bar to be one piece. The UCI regulations are written for a traditional handlebar, a base bar, and then there is a, a clip-on uh, extension or, or aero bar uh, with a separate uh, elbow pad. But now, with again, th thanks to three D technology. We're starting to see all those pieces uh, integrated into one. And in the field, our commissaires are finding it difficult to apply the regulations to these new generation of handlebars. You know, where does the the, the elbow pad finish and where does the aero bar start? Now it's just one piece. Mm. So we're at a really interesting place, I think, uh, exciting place or uh, this intersection of kind of technology and traditional cycling where 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 athlete becomes or is first prior to machine so athletic endeavor should be in principle before the technology so we're at this really really interesting intersection between the two and uh, there's, there's there's no doubt you know our regulations particularly on the technical side, uh, probably probably do need a, a revision. Is it is it sort of getting hard with so much advancement in technology that there's a balance between you don't want to inhibit people making developments, yeah. but at the same time, you don't want them to create such a gap that, you know, it's it's not evening the sport or, or as you said, it's not driven by the athletic performance. So we love innovation. We love this innovation, and I'm, I had this conversation with a, with a lot of the nations already yesterday here at the Track World Championships. You know, the UCI is not about preventing innovation. We're not about preventing technology, but we do feel or one of the principles of the UCI is that it's the athlete that comes first, and finding that where that right that that line sits, uh, respecting the athlete, respecting both sides. That's the difficult part, and. Uh, it was on, what was it? It was on Tuesday evening. Uh, we, we had a meeting with all track nations, everyone present here, team managers. Uh, some of those had their performance directors as, there as well. Uh, we started to put together a, a framework of how we see equipment, particularly in track cycling, uh, progressing over the next two Olympic cycles. And we're trying to put that framework together. Okay, what makes sense? What changes make sense to put in place now prior to Paris 2024? Because we are literally three, less than, what is it, three years away. Mm. Some of those nations have already committed funds to developing new material for the 2024. Um, but we're also talking about textile technologies because some of the biggest advancements in, in performance are thanks to textile technologies. And uh, that's another place that's really innovating. So it's not only about the bike, it's not only about the helmets, but it's also about the textiles and the, the holistic, I think, performance of the athlete, which includes bikes, wheels, handlebars, clothing, helmets, shoes, everything. So 
it is complex, uh, but it's very exciting. Can you give us insight? I, I was just going to say a quick insight into how the decisions are then made. So is it a boardroom where you say, right, guys, we're just going to put a cap on this? Or can you give us insight into the process? So, yeah, sure. So um, in, in my case, I, I work within the UCI Innovation um, Department. Uh, I have a, a couple of people around. I have a couple of uh, young engineers, very energetic cyclists that really have a degree in engineering. So we go out, talk with the teams. We put a proposal together, okay? Then it would normally go to uh, the UCI Technical Commission, uh, which is uh, has members from uh, some of the professional uh, cycling team representatives are there, such as AIGCP, which represents the teams. We have a, a member from AOC, which is uh, represents the majority of the race organisers, such as uh, ASO, uh, the Tour of Italy organiser, uh, the Tour of Flanders organiser. They put a representative on our board. The Riders' Union also plays a representative on our board. And uh, we have guests uh, come in as well. If we need a specific expert on a specific topic, topic, we will invite a guest to provide a, we hope, a neutral opinion. If the Technical Commission approve uh, that proposal, it then goes to the UCI Management Committee Board to, to make that new regulation or vote on that regulation. And, and have the final say if, if that uh, regulation would be put into the complete UCI regulations um, that have many chapters and, and is a book probably about that thick. Uh, so there is quite a process and the time between making the proposal about the rule change and that being written into the UCI regulations uh, could be anywhere between six to six months to one year. We've had a few live comments. Uh, when your superfan says, does the UCI and manufacturers get together to discuss rules and regulations? And Sally wants to know the same thing. Do the UCI engage with the manufacturers? We absolutely do. So uh, one of the one of the the members that I didn't mention was before was we have an industrial representation. It's called the World Federation of the World uh, WFSIG. Sorry, I always get that mixed up. And sorry. If, if I butchered that name, it's oh, in Blake, essence. Could you imagine if, yeah. if he was on a board like this? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> so it has, it's an acronym that's so, and I get it all mixed up. Sorry, but in essence, they represent all the brands: uh, Shimano, uh, Trek, uh, Specialized, uh, just to name a few. Um, actually, I'm having a meeting with Robert, who's a very, very nice person. Directly after our, our meeting here as well, so they also represent. Uh, we have that. Um, manufacturer representative on the board and and they voice their opinion on these things so we go out to them to, to quite a lot actually to help us with uh, you know various projects that we're working on because they really do have an input like for us the uci sometimes it will be so much work for us to implement a strategy whereas the manufacturers probably already have the answer so we rely quite heavily on them if he no, it's interesting. What you said before made me think. With that situation with the, with the Danish team when they ran to the back of the of the dropped third rider, you understand if the aerodynamics mean that with your head down you're going to go faster. Well, the guy's going to do that for sure. So I suppose it's a matter of making 
the aerodynamics just as good when you are looking forward? Uh, uh, wouldn't that be the the answer to both of those? Well, I think the 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 most optimal position is to get that head as low as you can. There's no there's no doubt about that. And and and, and anyone that's been to the wind tunnel. Uh, and, and spent time in there knows that that placing the head very low, you can get the most aerodynamic advantage. Um, but of course, it's a balance of 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 the two. To yes, you get a one second uh, time gain over x kilometers, but if you crash into the barrier or you crash into a you know a, a traffic island in the middle of the road, then that that gain, uh, the time that you spent on on the ground and thirty seconds dusting yourself off and, and getting back on your bike again, um, you know the difference between the two doesn't add up. Um, I can see where this will go. Um, you know, do we start to see? You know, when you're climbing, is it rock climbing or, or cliff climbing? When you have those glasses, you can see what's going up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Someone will come oh, up with yeah. these things. Someone or a camera, and and. We don't want those those technologies in the sport. We, you know, it is the rider first, and and the athlete I think must uh, must adhere to the rules. So for the safety of everyone, for the safety of everyone. Yeah, so, but you can always put one of those stickers on um, objects may be closer than they appear, or whatever, <laughs> just to give them a heads up when they're looking at the mirror. But um, Car Carolyn has got a question. She says, Michael, will the UCI keep the six point eight kilogram weight limit for bikes? As some manufacturers are making lighter bikes. Um, there's currently no talk at the UCI at the moment or amongst the industry about decreasing that weight. Um, I basically see the weight of every bike um, that's being used within UCI sanctioned races, whether it's here in the velodrome, at the World Track World at the Track World Championships, whether it was just recently at uh, the World Championships in in Flanders for the road. Um, Disc bake brakes uh, are still around the seven, the best seven, seven point two, seven point one uh, kilograms. Uh, some of the the women races, um, or the women cyclists, I should say, um, who 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 are a little bit shorter, they can approach six point nine. Very very rarely do we see uh, the bikes go under six point eight, particularly with, as I mentioned, disc brakes uh, with power meters. And and all the kind of onboard technology that that some of the riders are carrying now, they very very rarely go on six point eight. Is the uh, just is the track limit the same or is the track lighter? It, it is, John. It is, and and that's an interesting one, an interesting one, um, because track bikes obviously don't have uh, the the whole uh, drive chain, such as gears, uh, right. or the derailleurs and, and cassettes, nor brakes. Um, but for some some. Some funny reason, and I think that's just been in the, in the in the regulation. I think ever since the Lugano Charter, which uh, which was developed by uh, the UCI Management Committee back in 1996, and and kind of in essence has set the trajectory for bike design. I think, well, I mean, since 1996, what's that? That's approaching you know 25, 26 years. Um, the Lugano, I think the Lugano Charter mentioned 6.8 across all disciplines. Now, one other big talking point this year, and it always pops up, the Tour de France, there was, you know, a handful of riders saying, oh, we could hear certain bikes were making different sounds in the peloton and 
Now they're trying to point the finger at you know all the hitters. I mean, the sound could have been windburn for a lot of these guys, but mm. uh, the UCI did a lot of checks dodge at the tour for the bikes. Do you want to give us a bit of insight into how that process works when you're looking for things like mechanical doping? Sure, sure. So um, I suppose there's been quite quite a lot of press in the background that that was very critical of of the initial technology that the UCI implemented back in 2015 which was which was in essence an iPad uh, with with uh, a magnet that was able to pick up uh, when higher density steel materials were present in the fr in the frame so it was it was a magnetic driven technology um, we still use that technology today it, it gives insight into the amount of high density materials within the bicycle and motors uh, or, or any kind of system or energy accumulation systems are usually uh, um, created with high density materials 2017 i think it was off the top of my head the the uci introduced uh, a completely um, new x-ray machine it was basically an x-ray machine placed on the trailer uh, the bike is inserted into the trailer, it's all closed up, it's all sealed by uh, lead um, because there are actually X-ray um, imaging technology in there. It takes a picture of the bike and we literally see everything within that bike. So from the cables of the electronic gearing, uh, we see what's inside the wheels, we see everything. Um, so that's a, a trailer very very expensive the uci invested literally uh, millions of australian dollars in, into the into this kind of technology uh, we currently tow that trailer around to all the races um, or, or most of the particularly world tour races and world championships on the track and the road and mountain bike um, however we are limited to the boundaries of europe and, and the cost associated with dragging a couple of ton trailer around europe a uh, huge, huge cost to the UCI, but it does give us insight into everything. We recently, um, yeah, mm, sorry. I was just going to say, I watch a lot of cop shows. Do the UCI have any like underground, you know, undercover operatives that can go around <laughs> sussing out, you know, if there are any of these technologies out there, like get the troops on the ground and penetrate the, the undercover ops? No? <laughs> we do, we do have a VAR system. Um, that's a really secret squirrel technology that we have. Uh, it's the UCI now has a van, basically what you see in soccer, uh, that they connect all the various TV channels into. And uh, the van has dozens and dozens of TV screens in there. We can basically see any angle, any camera view, uh, whether it's from the helicopter, the motorbike, uh, the lead car. We see everything what's going on. If we see any suspect bike changes, uh, if we see any suspect uh, items or pictures that, that we feel needs looking into, um, the, the chief commissaire will communicate that to, to, to me or, or my team that we saw this particular activity and that bike or that rider's bike may be uh, placed on, on, on the list of bikes that need to be scanned at the end of the day. Oh wow, that, that's interesting. So it's sort of yeah. like a bat cave with all the screens. 
It's awesome. It is. I'm putting my hand up for the job. I, I reckon because I know a lot of you guys. <laughs> you that security guard. That I, I give that, in I the can, No, what you were saying, Dan. You know, undercover. I could just be yeah. a friend with your, I'll talk rat. To, I, exactly. I'll catch him. But rat, serious, yeah. seriously, I don't believe that it could possibly happen at the top end in the world tour. The actual, the amount of involvement to do that, the people would have to be involved. I don't believe it could even, would even be entertained by any world tour team. Oh, and the risk, you know, that you get busted. The whole empire falls over. No, exactly, exactly. It would never stay quiet. Yeah, yeah the, the, there's a lot of people that need to know about it, uh, you know, from mechanics to, you know, sports directors. And you're absolutely right. You're right. The UCI has had found a case, I think it was in 2016, uh, a young female junior cyclist, um, actually yeah. back in, in cyclocross uh, many years ago. Um, but to the to this day, to the Im images that, that we have acquired, and, and there are thousands, thousands and thousands, there's no mention of or, or nothing that, that would suggest that anything uh, illegal is going on. Uh, why don't we take a quick drinks break and then when we come back, we'll ask about uh, your role as head of road as well for the UCI uh, moving forward. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. <clears throat> it's a bike. 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them all looking at it people from here there and wherever this is people that are looking for a bike or just a piece of it amateurs semi-amateurs and pro amateurs this guy wants this bike but with this crank and these bars this could be the perfect match but not this one this girl has a bike to sell and thousands of people might purchase it eyes on bikes help grow small businesses his hers yours and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving we are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike bike exchange where the world buys sells learns and rides Life is like a two-way street. It's about consideration and mutual respect. Roads are much the same. However you get around, walk, ride or drive, if we share our roads, we can all be safer. The Amy Gillett Foundation is Australia's peak cycling safety charity. Our mission is for safe cycling in Australia. Our vision is for zero cyclist deaths. Over the last year, we've seen an enormous increase in people taking up cycling, whether it be for recreation, with the family, commuting, or even to start your own cycling career. We need to do more to make it safer for every cyclist. 20 cyclists every day are hospitalized, and one cyclist is killed every 10 days on Australian roads. So. The next time you jump on your bike or hop in your car, remember to practice the four C's. Be courteous, calm, considerate and conscientious. Every cyclist's death is preventable and we all deserve to get home safely. Please donate to help the Amy Gillett Foundation make the road safer for you and for me. 
Thanks again to Bike Exchange and the Abigail Foundation. Now, Mick, you're now head of road as well as innovation. How did all of that come about and what is the, the new role going to entail? Well, uh, the conversation started quite quite recently. Um, I I think the UCI were very happy with with the progress we've made in innovation and some of the the, uh, the projects that we're working on. And it was it was David Lapartian, president, and and, and Amina uh, Lenaya, um, general manager of the UCI, that approached me and and said, "We have some big plans in road, and and Michael, would you would you like to or would you be interested in in taking up?" Um, that role as of, of head of, of road and, and moving to head of innovation as well. Um, it was something that that excited me, to be honest, straight away, because I've always been very passionate about road and, and cycling in general. And um, I think combining the two units of, of innovation and road and, and I think coming to the challenges, I mean, we were talking about some of the challenges currently within the sport at the moment from the technical side. So being able to combine those two and having the holistic view over over, over both programs, uh, I think there's some certainly some fertile ground there that, that we can we can leverage. If he... No, it's, it's a big step and congratulations, mate. It's enormous. So uh, I, I understand that you're at the bottom of the road, but what does that actually completely entail? Tell us a little bit more of what that means. So in essence, the, the road unit has three core, let's say, columns. I would say it that way would be the best way to describe it. So that is uh, that is teams and riders. Uh, so that, that comes under one column and, and there's a specific manager, uh, Julien Chevlon, uh, one of my colleagues at the UCI. So he, he kind of manages all the team registrations, um, ensures that the bank guarantees are in place from the teams. Yeah, more or less allocating which teams are going into the world tour uh, level and and which are going to the second and third categories. He also maintains contact with with riders when they have a, a question about uh, you know could be contracts or or, uh, or or any specific rider item. the The second uh, item or second column is race organizers um, and I, I guess the the rankings. Uh, I'm very happy uh, to have just promoted uh, my colleague Marie. Uh, she's she's been in, in the role for for many years now as an assistant, and she's just moved up to to the manager of the uh, of that role. So again, closely working with the race organized to, organizers to ensure there's coherence of of the race program because we I don't know how many races they are. We basically oversee every <laughs> every race that that works under the uci regulations so that's willing you know willing to the hundreds if not thousands you know across the globe and and managing all those race organizers is a, is a huge task and, and ensuring that they adhere to uh, the uci regulations uh, which is part two of the uci regulations um and then the third part um which is which is where Matthew Knight, my, my predecessor, is now kind of leading is, is around safety. Um, so we're still fulfilling uh, and still have a lot of work to do kind of within that safety um, role. But that, again, is, is talking to, um, you know, the, the various stakeholders such as AIGCP, 
again the race organizers and ensuring um, all the all the regulations and, and standards and strengthening I should say those regulations working with with partners um, about safety and, and and trying to improve um, this really really broad conversation about about safety which which is uh, become more and more important for us um, as the riders go faster and faster and faster the other thing I was going to touch on, because uh, there's a great story on Cycling News overnight by Nathan Huss, uh, who uh, ran third in that recent uh, gravel race in, in Italy, uh, pro gravel race. Um, and it was a, actually a very well-written story. Another Canberra boy like yourself, mate, you know. Um, and he's talking about he shouldn't be calling it alternative because it's uh, – uh, a fair part of the sport. So will that be coming underneath your umbrella as well, the gravel racing for the future? I think that's a good question, John. I, I, I should put my hands out in front of me. I don't know as much as I should do about gravel. Um, so we have an off-road department uh, within the UCI that, that looks looks after mountain biking, um, cyclocross, it also looks after, after I believe, uh, the BMX and, and other disciplines kind of under the umbrella of, of, of off-road. Um, to be honest, I don't really know where, where gravel sits because it is that kind of hybrid between the two. Um, the UCI recently announced a, a kind of UCI-sanctioned gravel series. Um, but to be honest, I don't really know where the regulations sit. It, it's It's... Yeah. Road regulations, track regulations that have been as disciplines around for for hundred years, uh, whereas the newer um, disciplines such as, I mean, mountain bike starting has been around for some time now. But those regulations are by no means as 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 developed um, as 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 the traditional uh, disciplines are. So. It's an interesting space. There's no doubt about it. When we're seeing, you know, the growth, particularly in, in America with, with gravel, uh, it seems very much particip participation-based. Uh, you know, the industry are, are really enjoying this time now because so many people are, are interested in, in purchasing gravel bikes. If you can get one, if you can get one, uh, if you can get a bike, uh, you know, a lot of those are, are gravel now. So. It will be interesting to to see you know where it goes and uh, like you said, John, um, there was a, a gravel race just recently in in the Venice area, hmm. and on a side note, organised by Pippo Fazzato, uh, Filippo Fazzato, which is an old teammate of mine, so that was really really good to see. Filippo, uh, uh, after retiring, you know he's he's back into the sport and contributing to such a great cause. Yeah, look, just continuing on with that, just bit one, mm. one bit, uh, Dan, is that before when you, you, you're looking at some of the gravel races in America, and as you mentioned, Mick, you know, they're very much participation with a, with a handful of uh, top oh. riders thrown in. But the recent one that we were just saying, with Nathan Hassel talking about, was just pros only, but all gravel. And with the you know, popularity now of the Strade Bianca and, and uh, Paris Tours, which now goes into those gravel uh, tracks through the vineyards at that last part, sensational race too, um, both beautiful races, I could see 
that that gravel section of pro racing becoming uh, bigger and bigger. And I think it's going to have to go under your your hat, mate. I think it's going to be more the road than than the recreational ones that they're running in America. Well, I think it's an interesting question, John, because if I if I look through the lens of what's happening in Australia and, and race organisation on 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 sealed roads and all the complexities that lay behind that, such as you know having alignment with with the police, uh, the associated insurances, making sure all the all the national safety requirements are met, um, that's becoming very very complex now and it's not only in australia it's in many countries in america it's in it's in the uk uh, we're starting to where i live in switzerland uh, traffic uh, you know the whole country is just sitting in a traffic jam 24 uh, 7. so it is becoming a problem and the question about gravel solving some of those issues by taking races and, and 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 younger generations and also older generations and putting them on roads where traditional traffic is not there they're not sitting in traffic jams uh, and of course you you need the landscape to be able to do that australia has fantastic you know i grew up in canberra you leave the city and you're on you're on gravel roads really quick and you don't see anyone for you know it could be for hours uh america you know the, some of the central states have, have wonderful um landscapes for for gravel race in canada where i live in switzerland <laughs> you're either going up or you're going down and that network of fire trails uh, just is not there um but for some countries it really is i think a fantastic opportunity and an alternative to traditional road racing yeah. I was, I was going to ask me, what, what do you think are the most pressing issues from a road perspective going into next year? Well, I think it's coherence to, I think coherence to the calendar. Um, we have quite a lot of races, particularly in Europe, uh, wanting to, to concentrate their dates around the kind of summer period. And we have so many organizers reaching out to us and, and saying, can I put this race on this date? Can I put it on that date where the calendar is already full? And it becomes, I think, quite difficult uh, for the spectators at home to, to follow that calendar, particularly if there's two or three races on the same date. And you, and you get dispersion, I think, of, of the peloton, both in the, in the men's and the women's. Um, I think the women actually have a huge, huge advantage here is they're coming to the game with a, a really interesting product now and, and women's cycling has made huge, huge steps. Um, and we have more organizers wanting to organize women races, but we're starting to already lose. Well, there's a risk that we'll lose the coherence of, I think of, of the, the race calendar and, and because we want the best riders to be at the best races. And, and when you start to dilute, I think the Peloton, I, I think the, the value proposition of, of the women's world tour will start to, you know, may start to uh, dissipate. So that's one challenges. And uh, how long have you got, uh, Dan? Because the challenges. <laughs> <laughs> Just give us the most pressing ones. <laughs> no, I, you know, and I, I think also around around women's cycling and, and, and my colleague, uh, Morgan, I mean, she she's really expert on this. Um, there's a lot to do. There's a lot to do. And, and, and you know, sometimes I read in the press um, about, you know, there is some frustration out there, I think, in in the community that, that we're not doing enough. But 
I can really guarantee you some of my colleagues, uh, particularly in, in women's cycling, I mean, these girls, these women, they're, they're just they're so passionate about what they're doing. They've got such a purpose. And when I see some of the comments in the press and, and then I compare that to the hours these people at the UCI are, are pulling, you know, there's sometimes a bit of a mismatch. And, and that just could be due to communication. Um, you know, maybe we need to do a better job of, of telling the world what's what's happening and, and the progress that women cycling has made. Uh, you amazing. know, it, yeah. it's, it is, John, it's just amazing. And, and But do, do we need to do more? Yes. Um, can we do it in a different way? Uh, sometimes I think we fall into the trap of seeing women cycling through the lens of race organization and to the, that point yes the women have to we all have to have races but there are other means of oh, i think of creating value and, and a different value proposition through the use of technology and 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 you know the the men uh i think racing calendar and racing scene it's complex and, and we have a lot of stakeholders um but i think i may have already mentioned this last time i was i was on your on the show here was I think the women have a huge opportunity, you know, to to in, in certain places pass the men mm, for sure with the, yeah. with, with the use of that that technology. So we're exploring some of those and, and engaging, uh, you know, with the various stakeholders on that. I think yeah, last time are, you're on the, mm. I was just going to say last time you're on the show, we were talking about mm. obviously Swift and how that's exploded, and then you see, mm -hmm. you know, Jay Vine who won the Zwift Academy, and he's had fantastic results this year. Have you seen it rise to the level that you thought it would? And how big is it getting moving forward? People getting on Zwift and full gas and all these sort of online races? Well, I think, so we just recently announced uh, the 20, 2022 World Championships, uh, eSports World Championships, sorry, I should say, or UCI Cycling eSports World Championships, I should say. Don't stuff uh, that one up, <laughs> Yeah, no way. Um, they will take part on the 26th of February next year. And we just introduced quite a, a new initiative, uh, I think, qualification pathway. Um, so let me just give a little bit of background to that. So the UCI, in essence, is a representation of all its national federations. So there's, there's all cycling, there's Swiss cycling, Italian cycling, France, Canada, America. Uh, we have 201 affiliated national federations at the UCI. Um, traditionally, the World Championships is for those national federations. So athletes will interact with the national federation to go to the, the World Championships. In cycling esports, it is a very young discipline. So we tried to create a new pathway for cyclists that may not be uh, affiliated with their national federation. So what, what we're doing this year is we have already allocated uh, 65 positions uh, to our international federation. So not all our federations have the opportunity, but we're also holding five continental qualification events. So each of the five continents will uh, be uh, anyone on SWIFT who has, I think it's level five, uh, will be able to enter into that race. And if you finish in the top five of that race, you automatically 
have a, a start into uh, the final of the World Championships. And what the really cool thing is, those people that may not have an affiliation with their national federation will, in essence, fast track them into the World Championships, but they are actually wearing their national jersey. And, and so we're, we're trying to broaden, I think, the reach of, of cycling esports because there also are what I call e-riders that don't go out into the road or the track and race traditional cycling. They're specific cyclists that's, that stay indoors on their home trainers and do the majority of their work there. So due to the, I think, the, the discipline being so young, we are trying to play around some of these things to, to ensure that the best athletes are there at the World Championships and it's not only the athletes that our national federations are used to working with. Ify? Oh, no, it's sensational. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, uh, maybe the sixth continent. I'll go over to Antarctica and become the sole representative <laughs> of Antarctica. Yeah. <laughs> the polar bear. <laughs> yeah. Now, Mick, we, we know you're a busy man and uh, you've got another meeting uh, after this. Uh, Johnny, anything you want to add before we let Mick go? No, just uh, congratulations, mate, and uh, um, fantastic to have you on, as always. And, uh, yeah, look forward to watching you progress. I've got to congratulate the UCI uh, over the last two years, really. I think, you know, the, the, everyone's moving forward. We're having seen the best racing uh, we've ever seen in the last two years. Women's racing has taken a huge step, and it's starting to look you know, as professional as the guys and the, and the women themselves have to be congratulated for the efforts and the rides oh. they've been putting up. It's been amazing. How, how but, was uh, how was Paris Roubaix? I mean, oh, the, the oh. inaugural Paris Roubaix for, for women, I mean, it was just yeah. a, an epic event. And the way that they raced it. Yeah. I mean, Lizzie oh, just you know, day. Took, I see it. Yeah. took the bull by the horns and, and, and just owned that race. And it is, it's just great. It really is. And, and, and the UCI... And I work within the, in the organisation, but you know we are really proud, and and we're only I think a, a part of the way to to reaching its full potential. Oh, for sure, mate. And uh, the fact that you got a promotion means you're doing a bloody good job, mate. And that's the main <laughs> thing. So, no, uh, thanks, we Dan. Forward, <laughs> we look forward to checking in uh, again with you soon, mate. Uh, we've got a few couple of comments before we go. Carolyn says, "Still doing Australia proud, Michael." Um, she also said that the seven uh, gravel race is very popular uh, there in WA. So, um, and then Brett said, Dan, your mic works better when it's switched on. I had it around the wrong way. So, sorry about that. And uh, <laughs> Wendy, Wendy Superman says, it's getting hard for even the clubs to keep up with the dates of everything on with so many different races putting on. I think, as you said, like a little bit more sort of streamlined so that it is just a bit cleaner schedule throughout the whole year. Yeah. That's obviously something that'll will take a bit of time, but you'll definitely get there, mate, because uh, you're a super talent, you're a super bloke, and we appreciate you being on the detour. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, John. All the best. Take Thanks, care. Thanks, mate. Sorry, mate. Take it easy. Michael Rogers, superstar, Ify. Um, a legend. What a legend. Yep. And as, as yep. you said, I mean, the, the advancements, particularly uh, as we're talking about in female cycling, um, uh, the, the thing that you want to see is particularly with the coverage because, I mean, you see a lot of teams really struggling financially, but um, I think we are talking about this with Spratty last week, that the more coverage, the more exposure, the better the TV product uh, looks, it's going to be better for everyone because they're seeing that people want to watch like women's cycling. Like the anticipation yeah. for Paris-Roubaix was yeah. huge. I was more excited yeah. for that than the men's race. 
Yeah, you know, no, so fantastic. just give them a chance. It was almost like I reckon about a year ago, someone clicked the switch and, and people started to realize that actually having a women's team is a fantastic uh, way to promote your your, your, your business, um, uh, value for money. And that's what mm. uh, you've seen that happening and they're getting uh, stronger and stronger and more and more professional. Got some more feedback coming in. John Stevens said a bit earlier, RE last Thursday show, I've been forwarded a complaint uh, to YouTube fact checkers, uh, if if he had been a World War Two navigator, his plane would have bombed Switzerland. He was talking about, was talking about when you're trying to do the, the map for the Tour de France. Hey, I was spot on. Hey, Switzerland, come on. Hey. Yeah, and Chris Chris Peters was talking about the uh, the track racing. Is there any option of having them all ride the same bike? This would put them all on the same level playing field. Oh no! I love I love the challenge and the innovation. I, who wants them on all the same bike? They're not robots. You know the fact all of this work that goes in with who's coming out with the best, uh, uh, you know, little little not trick, but you know, I didn't like the Danes putting that tape on. I, that was just pushing uh, ridiculous. But you know the, the innovation of the of the bikes. If you took that out, we would all lose from it. You know, you mm. watch what's happened over the years with, you know, the different style of frames and everyone trying to beat the, the other. And I think it's fantastic. Uh, and also, Wendy Superman said again, uh, Dan, John, I heard Bike Exchange team has a new name now. That was on Cycling News. Bike Exchange, Jaco. There you go. There mm. you go. So Jaco. Yeah, They've been involved with cycling at all, Jaco? Uh, a couple of years, I think, you know, yeah. about, thir about 30 <laughs> we go back. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Jerry, had his, Jerry had a Jayco professional team with Scotty McGrory and uh, Dean Woods and all of those guys back in uh, 1993. So mm. uh, that's going back uh, quite a while, mate, quite a ways. And, uh, yeah, so it's fantastic. Of course, um, you know, the, the uh, Bike Exchange team, Bike Exchange Jago is now going to be. Um, we, we wish them all the best. And it's exciting things are going to be announced very, very shortly about that as well. Well, I reckon Jaco. obviously we know Jerry's connected with Jaco in Australia, but Jaco is obviously an American brand. So the American brand would be licking their lips too because there's a lot of publicity that they'll be able to get on the back of that. Surely there's a contra yes. deal they can send over some spare parts to Danny and all. I don't know what the connection is nowadays with, with Jake and America because uh, uh, Wilbur, uh, the, the, the wonderful family who uh, who used to own Jake and America, were very close uh, with, with Jerry. Uh, but they sold out to a, one of the big multinational uh, American companies uh, last year or maybe even longer ago. So I'm not sure what the connection is there, but but maybe maybe they could uh, tip some dollars in. I, I'm sure if it can be done, Jerry will be there. He's, he's uh, got lots of things happening in America with uh, his stage show, Moulin Rouge, uh, top in the list in uh, in New York recently. So yeah, who would know? Who would know? Jer Jerry should do the name change just before the Tour de France and call it like Team Moulin Rouge. Imagine how cool the bus would look. Fantastic. <laughs> well, we'll be there, mate. We'll, uh, we'll, 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 I'll suggest it to him. Yeah, okay. Um, a lot of people agreeing with the comments about women's cycling. Gavin says the increased coverage of women's cycling was great and they have a wonderful product when the racing in some ways is more aggressive than some of the men's tours. Uh, totally agree. Brett Richardson says women's cycling is more exciting to watch. Uh, There's a little less formula lake and the results less predictable than the men's racing. 
And then Scotty Scooter McGrory says, yep, I was in the original Jayco team. Thank Jerry for giving me another go. Yeah, no worries, Scotty. Yep, you, yep, you, you can be, you can take over my role as team mascot. <laughs> well, you won't have to pay full price for the bikes if you do. You'll get a good discount. <laughs> he's never paid full price for a bike, mate. <laughs> and the will, the will wizard, he's in a cranky mood. Get over there in the UK. <laughs> get UCI to fix track racing. Yeah, you're dead right, will wizard. I agree with you on that. And they are working on it. I mean, you know. That, between the UCI and the Olympic Federa uh, Olympic uh, Federation, you now what they did to track racing was ridiculous, uh, and it's starting to find its way back out. Um, I don't know whether the Sixers will ever get back to what they they were. Probably not. Not, but uh, they're an important part of it as well. But um, I, I know there's more interest from the countries now on track racing. You know, the, the back. Four or five years ago, it was um, Australia versus uh, US and America uh, and the French a little bit. And now, you know, Denmark stepped in and uh, Spanish are really good. So there's a lot more uh, happening. Um, Belgium are very good on the track as well. Holland, of course. So it's becoming uh, much a much better competition at world level. But... Uh, it needs a bit more structure. So the World Cups they tried to do haven't really worked, I don't think. So it needs a, a structure that can work a bit more like uh, the, the road world to it. Let, let's see what we can do. Will Wizard also says, uh, can only hire USA Jayco RVs in Europe. That was the problem with the 92 Jayco team. USA head office didn't want to contribute. He, he's got the goss on everything. He, he's right there. He's right there. Yeah. Uh, Scooter also says uh, his bro-in-law Dennis Casey is really pushing him to do the unbound gravel race in the US next year, 300 Ks so these ultra uh, races are, are becoming huge as well Oh yeah, they're they're, they're amazing races. I you know followed one recently, um, unbound gravel one in America. And gee, and the, it was a, a bike race and a half. Um, and I just see that there's one coming up uh, just next week in Kansas. And uh, uh, our mate um, Avanapol is is riding his first gravel race, but he's chicken out. He's not doing the big one. He's doing the smaller distance one. But anyway, he's going over there having a bash at it, which is great. Yeah. All right. And then you want to add before we have to go, Iffy? I reckon we should uh, just give uh, uh, Phil Liggett Safari a little plug if we if we can. I always uh, sure. like to. I've got to the video ready to go. Here, mate. Here's, yeah, here's Phil Safari. Hi, everyone. It's Phil Liggett here, and it's time to get my African Safari on the road again. We're heading back to the Kareka Game Reserve in the Eastern Cape of South Africa, where animals, including the rhino, roam freely. We did four great rides in June and now, with two new ones, we're set to go again. There will be eminent guests to answer your questions on the wildlife and also offer an opportunity to win amazing trips to Kareka. We'll chat to one another and you don't even have to ride thanks to Fulgaz who will set you up to watch on Zoom when you enrol and make a donation. We have four rides, one per month, starting on September 19. They last an hour, and if you have a smart trainer, you can pedal your way through the reserve, or you can just sit back with a cup of tea. In either case, knowing that your participation is helping keep the animals safe and free to roam. Come and join me, and all the information you need to have is at careca.co.za slash peloton, and let's go. Good on you, Phil. Get involved and Will Wizard finishes it off. More goss.
USA gravel organisers have told the UCI to keep out. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, there are different what's happening in Europe on gravel and what's happening in America are two different things. And you're probably right. They don't need UCI to be involved in that model that they're doing over there. Yeah, which it's is working. They don't have to deal with <laughs> well, restrictions and, and rules. And it's a, particip it. a participation model with a few uh, high profiles whacked in at the top end. And it's mm. working well for them. But what they're trying to do in America is for the world tour teams to be able to take on some gravel racing which is what they mm -hmm. just did. And I think that's got some real potential. And as Mick Rogers just touched on, one of the big challenges we have in Australia and a couple of other countries as well, but I know that the, the challenges here, is closing the roads to run bike races. It's a yeah. serious issue and a lot of cost. Whereas when you start mixing it, a bit like you know, the, the Strata Bianca, but we should do more of that where you can have a circuit that um, doesn't have to go into the town because you can use a couple of gravel roads to connect uh, and uh, so you have a, a combination of the two. That's going to become more and more. What, uh, why don't you create a um, cyclocross circuit at Mitchell and Winery, John? That'd be a great right. spot to do a track. Funny you say that, mate. Funny you say that. We were working on that with one of the Amy's rides uh, a few years ago, but we, we never got it off the track. But I've, we've got a fantastic course for a cyclocross at Geelong, which we're going yeah. to do as part of the Bay Quiz. We haven't got time to do it for next year. We're just, we've got a big announcement about to be made you know, for the Bay Quiz for next January, and uh, we're close to getting it all together. But uh, we haven't got time to do a cyclocross as a part of that. But maybe 2023. Mm -hmm. We'll, well, speaking of uh, Amy's ride, uh, the kit should arrive tomorrow, Johnny. The detour kit, because it was oh, going to be ready a week before. Yeah, yep. so I meant to uh, ring. Yep. I'll, I'll, I'll chuck the Lord. kit on just as a once-off, take a photo, and then I'll hand it off to the old man because he'll actually wear it in uh, in sale. <laughs> you should get a laugh oh, out of that. Oh, the Free yeah. Ranger's got an idea for you. The Bay Grits. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. They always say leave on a high and we'll leave on free ranges zinger. We'll see you again on Thursday. Make sure that you keep telling your mates about the show, youtube.com forward slash detour podcast. And make sure you subscribe because if we give you a bonus episode, you'll get a notification uh, before Thursday. But we'll be back again Thursday night, 6.30. See you then, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Mick Rogers. Doing a great job. Got promoted. Legend. This is the winning ride of the Tour de France.